Our Father, we thank you again for the privilege to come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to lift up our voices in prayer and praise, in adoration and thanksgiving for thy loving kindnesses and tender mercies which are ours. We thank you for all that you provided for us. We thank you for your precious, holy, written word. And as we approach that word, we approach it reverently and humbly. We trust the great, mighty, Holy Spirit whom thou hast sent to indwell us, to live big in us, to think through our minds, to speak to our lips, to unveil the word of God unto our spirits. And we pray for all of us that we shall not just be hearers of the word only, but that we'll be doers thereof. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. amen. Open your Bibles to the 13th chapter of the gospel according to St. John. The 13th chapter of the gospel according to St. John. And we're going to read the 34th and 35th verses of this opening. John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now I want you to open your Bibles to the first epistle of John. The first epistle of John. First John chapter 3. And we want to read the 14th verse. First John, first epistle of John chapter 3 verse 14. We know that's positive, isn't it? Not we think so. Not maybe so. Not this is our theory. You know, a theory is a supposition established upon ignorance of the subject under discussion. <laughs> this is not our theory. This is not the way we have it figured out. This is not what we think about it. This is what God said about it. Say it out loud. The Bible... Bible. Is, God is God speaking to me? Speaking. Now turn to your neighbor and point to them and say, The Bible, the Bible is, God is God speaking to you. Speaking to you. Now point to yourself and say, The Bible, the Bible is, God is God speaking to me. Speaking to me. A lot of folks want God to speak to them, but they won't listen to what he says. <laughs> and that's the reason he don't say anything else. All right, we know. We know. What is it we know, John? We know that we have passed from death unto life. That spiritual death he's talking about. We're born again. We pass from death, from spiritual death unto eternal life. How do we know it? How do you know you're saved? Well, I've been baptized in water. I believe in that. But that's not the way you know you're saved. Well, I belong to the church. I believe in that. We should belong to the church, a local group. If you're born again, you're in the church, but you should belong to a local group and band together to work for God. No, we know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. 
He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. That is in spiritual death. So I want to talk to you about the new law of the new covenant. The new law. In this scripture here in John's gospel, the 13th chapter, the 34th and 35th verses, Jesus said a new commandment. So the new law of the new covenant. You see, the new law wants to take the place of the old law. Or in other words, the new commandment is to take the place of the old Ten Commandments. Jesus fulfilled the old covenant and he established a new covenant in his blood. Praise God. There is no need for the Ten Commandments. Now, for we who are in Christ, because you see, if you walk in love, you're not going to tell a lie on anybody. Are you? I said, are you? If you walk in love, you're not going to steal from anybody, are you? No, if you walk in love, you're not going to break any commandment that was ever given to curb sin. Amen. Now, I want you to notice, let's go back to the Old Testament and see something that Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, concerning the new covenant in the uh, 25th through the 29th verses. God said, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all of your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Now you'll notice also uh, that Jeremiah, we'll look at it in a minute. Jeremiah, you can turn there while I'm talking, the 31st chapter of Jeremiah. But let's notice what he said here. As you go on reading the chapter, you'll notice that uh, he goes on to say some things to Israel, and uh, that they should dwell in the land which God gave them or gave to their fathers that they should be God's people and he'd be their God. And that clearly points to a blessing which is in store for the Jews and we wouldn't want to interpret it otherwise. But there is, however, an earlier application here that we just read to, of the same to the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. For I want you to notice that when we come to the book of Hebrews, how do we know it applies to the church? Well, turn over to Hebrews, the eighth chapter, and you'll find that the writer of the book of Hebrews is quoting this. In the eighth chapter of the book of Hebrews, you'll notice that he brings out this fact. Hebrews, the eighth chapter, the eighth verse through the tenth verse. For finding fault with them, talking about the old covenant, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with Israel with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. 
I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their heart, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Hallelujah. Now notice, I told you to turn to the 31st chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, in prophesying about the same thing that Ezekiel was prophesying about, said these words. The, third, the uh, 31st chapter, the 33rd and 34th verses. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. See, we just got through reading that. Him quoting it in the book of Hebrews. After those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, I want you to notice this. Come back to the book of Hebrews again, please. That you see, he's quoting, the writer of Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And I want you to notice that he said, I read the King James translation, I will put my laws into their mind. Now the margin says that the Greek says, I'll give my laws into their mind. You see, he gave us the word and told us that there is a new commandment, hallelujah, for the new covenant. Then he said, and I'll write them in their heart. The margin said, into their heart. Now you remember Romans the fifth chapter and the fifth verse said that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So you see, in, in the Old Testament, he wrote the Ten Commandments on tables of stone with his finger, the finger of God. In the New Testament, he wrote the commandment in our hearts because that one commandment fills all of the commandments. I said that one commandment fulfills all of the commandments. Now, if you don't think so, turn back real briefly to the 13th chapter of Romans and we'll find that the Bible says that. And then we'll come back to this later, but right now we just want to make this observation. Notice, the eighth verse of the 13th chapter of Romans, owe no man anything but to love one another for he that loveth another hath fulfilled, what? What's the next word? The law. The law. Let's go on reading. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. See, he's quoting the law. He's quoting the ten, a portion of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Now notice. And if there be any other commandment besides these that he's named, if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now look at the 10th verse. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Glory to God. Can you say amen? amen? Praise his name forever. Now, come back to the book of Hebrews again. We were right there in the 8th chapter. Let's look into the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews for just a moment. Let's look into the 10th chapter. Let's begin to read in this 10th chapter with the 5th verse. 
and read down through the 17th verse of the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it's written to me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadest thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then saith he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, talking about the old covenant, which includes the Ten Commandments. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Now then, notice that the law of God, the, all the laws of God, all the commandments of God are fulfilled in the one. As Paul said right to the Romans, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen? And he that loveth his brother or his neighbor has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled the law. And so then, in the Old Testament, he used the word plural commandments, but they're all, uh, we find from the New Testament, fulfilled in the one commandment. And it's in our hearts. But you see, we weren't told to listen to our hearts. It was in there all the time. But our heads are cluttered up sometimes with religious thinking. And our spirits and hearts suffer at the expense of our heads. Amen. And that's a reason we need to get into the Word and get our minds renewed with the Word. Amen? Amen? Now, if we would just listen, and if every believer was taught that, if you just learn to listen to your heart, just learn to listen to your spirit, because that law is already in there. Amen? I'll write it in their hearts, he said. And then he furnishes the means to practice it. Because the love of God, what kind of love? love of what kind of love? love? The love of God has been shed abroad, where? In, in our heads? In no, hearts. no, that's where people get in trouble. They go by their head, you know. Their head will get them in trouble. Or go by the flesh. And the flesh will get them in trouble. But when you go by your heart, I'm talking about born again people. 
the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And he's in there witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God. Amen? Now look at this verse. Turn to the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, and notice the, the last verse of the chapter. I want you to see something here. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. It applies to the church at Tulsa or wherever you are from. I like to put it this way. The Holy Ghost said through the Apostle Paul, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God. Notice that. Forgiving one another, even as God forgives, in other words. Now, why can we forgive like God forgives? Because the same kind of love that God is. Remember the Bible said, God is love. The same kind of love that God is, is shed abroad in our hearts. That means our spirits, the inner man, by the Holy Ghost. I can remember when I was born again, 1933, and uh, I knew there's a change on the inside of me and there's a change on the inside of everyone when you're born again. But I was on the bed of sickness then for 16 months before I was healed. And then I was raised up and healed by the power of God. But my mind certainly wasn't renewed with the word. I knew something about the word because I'd fed on it constantly. But you see, before I had gotten saved there on the bed of sickness and had become bedfast, our home was broken. And uh, I, I just had a chip on my shoulder, so to speak. Now my oldest brother, Dub, he was always bigger than me. He grew up real fast. I was real little to my age. And uh, actually, when I was 12 years old, I was still just real little small. And, and, and he used to tease me. We had a fellow in our town by the name of Beecher Ball. And uh, Beecher Ball, uh, he, he ran around town with a big cowboy hat on, a cowboy suit on, and leather chap. You know, those chaps weigh a lot, leather chap. And, and then gun belt around him and a gun on each hip. And all of the regalia that he had on, he weighed 79 pounds. So you understand, <laughs> you understand he was a midget. And so Dub used to, he knew exactly how to get me mad. He said, uh, you, time you get to be 12, he said, you'll either turn into a girl or you'll never be any bigger than beat your ball. <laughs> and I mean, time he got that out of his mouth, he's running. Because he knew I couldn't fight him with my fists. I didn't, wasn't that strong, but he knew I'd hit him with whatever I could find. And one time I did hit him in the head with the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I did. I hit him in the head and the hammer knocked him out. I mean, I throwed that hammer, boy, and hit him. <laughs> well, anyway, now he could, the point I want to make, I just throw that in next, but the point I wanted to, wanted to make is he, he was big enough to take care of himself, but I wasn't. I couldn't fight because I'd give out. And so I'd just make a mental note. 
You know, very subtle about slip up behind somebody and knock them in the head. <laughs> then when they wasn't looking, you see. Because when you grow up that way, you know, uh, you, you, you come from broken home. You're just, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of things have happened. That, uh, you're just really mad at the whole world. I can understand exactly how a lot of folks are nowadays, but the only cure is to get the love of God in them. Amen. Well, then, if any of the kin folks uh, did something wrong, well, I didn't slip up behind them, knock them in the head. But I would just make a mental note of it and mark them off of my list. I never speak to them again. I mean, they may be in the same room where I'm, but I'd ignore them. Or if I see them walking down the street, I may just cross the street in the middle of the block, keep from meeting them. Or when they come by, just turn my back on them and look in the store window. See? But now then I'm born again. And I really didn't know. I knew there's a change inside me. But I didn't know, I hadn't read that verse yet, or if I had, it hadn't registered on me, that the love of God shed abroad in my spirit, in my heart, by the Holy Ghost. And so I just simply, uh, someone, kinfolk, did me wrong, and I just said to myself, see my mind not renewed with the word, and this is what gets people in trouble. I said, well, I'll give them the old treatment, just mark them off my list. Won't speak to them again, long as day I live. But a few days later, I saw them coming down the street. I was uptown. I saw them coming towards me. Now the thought flashed in my mind to give them the old treatment. I started to cross the street in the middle of the block, keep from meeting them. I thought about turning my back on them. But something in here rose up. No one told me to do it, but I just did it automatically. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the love of Christ constraineth us. That love of Christ is the love of God. It's in it. it does what? Constrains us. Something inside me constrained me. And I listened to it. And instead of turning my back on them, and instead of crossing the street in the middle of the block, I went to meet them, reached my hand out to shake hands with them, did take their hand and shake hands with them. And said to them, uh, I want you to know that I love you. I'm speaking out of my heart, not my head. My head wanted to knock them in the head. <laughs> I'm not talking about the flesh. Paul said, I keep under my body. Now, some people think that just refers to sexual sins. Well, of course it refers to sexual sins. But that means other sins too. I keep under my body. That means you keep your tongue under and you don't go talking about somebody and finding fault with people and peddling uh, slander. And that means you keep the flesh under because in your body, you've still got that old nature, that old Adamic nature in your flesh. Your spirit's in you. But your flesh wants to, you hit me, I'll hit you. You spit on me and I'll spit on you. I won't let you get by with that. And that's where carnal Christians are, you see. But we need to let the love of God constrain us. And so I said to this, this, this uh, relative, I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I want you to know that if it would help you any, I'd just get out on my knees right here on the sidewalk. See, right down the main, main part of town. I'd just get on my knees here and kiss your feet. And you know, when I said that to that person, they started crying. <laughs> 
and knelt down, grabbed my hand, leaned on it, and said, pray for me. I mean, right on the street. Said, pray for me. My God, Ken, I need it. Well, they did. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Love never fails. Love never fails. I said, love never fails. You'll see that. We'll get to it eventually in that 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you remember. Love never fails. It's always victorious. Amen. Amen. And that love's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. I remember when Dub had just gotten to the Lord and he was just a baby Christian. But I, <laughs> I remember that uh, we were there in Dallas holding a meeting and, and I, I always took care of my mother's business and I'm, I'm preaching twice a day, teaching in the morning, preaching at night. And so uh, uh, he said, well, I'm going up there and I, I'll, I'll tend to it for you. You won't have to go. So he went up to McKinney, 32 miles north of Dallas, and got into it. And uh, like to got whipped. I mean, it's a, if he had to change some, he, he would have whipped somebody. Because they really got on him, but he just said, well, I'll tell you one thing, you better be glad I'm not like I was, because I'd already have you whipped. And they'd threaten to whip him, but said, if you do get on me, I'm going to do my best to get you off of me, and you just better pray that I won't hurt you in doing it. So he come back and I said, well, did you tend to the business? No, I didn't get it tended to. I said, well, I will. You better not go up there, man. They'll, they'll get you. I said, no, they won't. And so I, I went up the day or two. Well, I got there. My, see, Grandpa was right about 90 and right at the point of death. And they're already squabbling some of them over about who's going to get what. And some of them always felt like, because I went to live with my grandparents on my mother's side when I was nine years old. My grandmother always called me her boy. And some of the rest of them was afraid I'm going to put in for a child's part of the estate, you see. And, and uh, so uh, I, I remember my aunt lived right next door, Aunt Mary, so she called me out. And I'll tell you, she is just a ranting and a raving. And I never said a word. Never said a word. Never even opened my mouth. I just on the inside of me said, thank God the love of God's in me, in me is bigger than the hatred that's in her. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now, so she's just a ranting in her room, just a going on. I'll tell you, saying some awful things. And, and so she looked up at me suddenly and looked away and looked back again. And, and then her mouth was working, but she wasn't saying anything. <laughs> never said a word. I guess she saw the expression on my face of love. I never said a word. She grabbed my, knelt down on the ground, grabbed my hand and laid it on her head and said, Ken, pray for me. Said, well, you know, we all need prayer. I said, yeah, I know it. <laughs> and just start praying. Love always wins. I said, love always wins. I said, love always wins. And that's our way. That's the way of the new covenant. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so then she called her husband. He came in, you know, and I knew, I knew what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about some of the rest of them. He's talking about what he's going to do. He's just feeling me out to see what I was going to do. And he said to me, you know, it's awful. Poor old dad laying there right at the point of death, just about to die and already squabbling about what's go, who's going to get what. In fact, he said, I'll tell you right now, I know this to be a fact, that some of the family have already, they're just ready. As soon as he's died, they're going to file suit and they're going to try to take everything away from your poor old mama. What are you going to do about it? I knew he was the one that's going to do it. Why, well, I said, 
I want you to know something. I've got to step a little closer. I've got some inside information. And I want you to know that I'm ready for it. You are? I said, yes, sir. I'm ready. I'll tell you, he's counting the chain. He said, I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to see that Lily gets her part. Since Grandpa died, they jumped over backwards trying to get, you know, what do you want? Be sure you get your part. See, the inside information I had is greater he's in me than he is in them. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said, amen. Love always wins. Now notice, be ye kind one to another. Isn't that strange that the Holy Ghost, that God, the Holy Ghost, would have to write to a church and tell them to be kind to one another? Well, he knew folks are human then just like they are now. They let their flesh dominate them. They let their natural human reasoning dominate them, their minds. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. Now, you can be that way because we just read from Ezekiel and from Jeremiah's prophecy that God said, I'll take that old stony heart out of you, put a new heart, new spirit in you. And it's tender-hearted. Amen, not hard-hearted, tender-hearted. Now notice, forgiving. See, God is love. And the scripture said, God said, I will not remember thine iniquities. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Love said, I'll not remember thy iniquities. Forgiving one another, even as God. We can forgive just as God forgives. Now, why can't we? Because the same kind of love that God is dwells in us. Hallelujah. See, he not only tells us to love one another, but he furnishes the love for us to love one another with. He's not talking about natural human love. Natural human love is selfish. Natural human love will turn to hatred overnight. Amen? But divine love is not selfish. It's not self-seeking. I remember a number of years ago, my wife and I accepted the pastorate, actually June of 1939, little church there in North Texas. And we preached on Sunday there in the church and then went away to a convention, or I did at least. She stayed home because that was just a little, a little bit, about three months before Ken was born. And so uh, then we preached the second Sunday there of June 1939, this pastor. And on Monday then started getting what few belongings we had moving into the parsonage. You know, they had a little parsonage there. We're talking about 1939, late depression days, you know. Nobody had much. Uh, we had one chair and one apple box to sit on. You know, they had a, a wooden apple crates. My wife sat in the chair and I sat on the apple box to eat. Yeah. And we put out, you know, what little bit we had. One or two uh, plates that was cracked and I think a fork or two. And we didn't have much. Didn't take long to unpack it, really. <laughs> Amen. And uh, that's the way we got started. Some folks want to start on top, but you don't do that. You start climbing the ladder on the bottom rung and climb up. Amen. If you're not willing to do that, you'll never make it. I know ministers, 
Some are going to be with the Lord now. Some are still alive, old as I am and older. Sat around Dallas there for years, said to me, Kenneth said, if you run across any big churches that's open, let me know. They wanted to start on the top. Well, I ran across some big churches, but I didn't let them know. They'd never pastored anything. They couldn't make a success pastor. You can't make success pastoring a big church if you haven't pastored a little church. Amen. Amen. That's absolutely the truth. Well, you see, they never made it. They never made it. They died. And some of them are still alive, 75, 80 years old, never done anything, never done anything. And going to have to give an account unto God for the call of God on their life. Amen. That's right. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. But we started on the bottom. I mean, we had a three-room postage. Shotgun, you know what I mean, shotgun? All those rooms lined up, you know, right one side the other. And the front wall was, uh, you know, the thing had, uh, it just set up in that black land on blocks and it had shifted and the wall had pulled out and there's about four inches or five inches between a cat or dog could climb up between there. That's our parsonage that we lived in. <laughs> Amen, no running water. No bath, only a path. <laughs> Amen, but love compels you. Amen. We love God, love the people. Nonetheless, that very first week we were there, here came a lady to the postage, one of the members, and she talked a little bit about something else, and finally she got around to it, said, well, Brother Hagin said, I wanted to come and tell you because I knew you'd hear about it. I wanted to tell you how old sister so-and-so treated me, what she did. And she began with this long rigmarole about how sister so-and-so had done what she had done and so on. And went on and on about it. And finally, I interrupted her and said, now, I thought here I was gone last week and they got into trouble here and got into a spat and got into a fuss. And so uh, I said, when did this happen? And she counted off on her fingers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I thought she was going to say eight days ago. That would be back the middle of the week we was gone, you see. She said that would be eight years ago next Tuesday. <laughs> and I guess I had such a look on my face of astonishment that she said, oh, 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 now, now, now don't misunderstand me. I've forgiven her, all right. <laughs> But you know, I never will forget how that old devil treated me. And uh, I, I tell these students here, don't, don't, don't pastor a church like I did. You're liable to get whipped. I mean, without thinking, I pointed my, I put my finger right in their face and said, you're a liar. In fact, I said, you're a bald-faced liar. You haven't forgiven her. Because if you would have forgiven her, you would have forgotten it. Oh, the devil may bring you a picture of it, but you won't entertain it. If you've forgiven her, you've forgotten it. Because God said, I am, even I am he that brought out thy transgressions, and I will not remember what? What? Thine iniquities. And the text said, the text said, that be ye kind one toward another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God. Amen? Amen. Now the devil may bring you a picture of it, but when he does, you just laugh at it. And say, Mr. Devil, that's just a picture. All you've got's a photo. The thing doesn't exist anymore. Because I've forgiven them, 
Amen. Amen. And if you was in the wrong, well, you've confessed it and God's forgiven you. And it's all clear. Can you say amen? amen? And love prevails. And love wins. And love never fails. Forgiving. Forgiving one another. Love forgives. Amen? amen? You know, we all rejoice and just are thrilled and should be with Mark the 11th chapter. I guess I preach from Mark the 11th chapter uh, more than any other text in the Bible. And we all rejoice at the words that fell from the lips of Jesus when he said, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you'll receive them and ye shall have them. And we rejoice in that. Thank God for it. But you know, that's not all that he said. That's not the whole story at all. That's only a part of it. The very next verse, he said, and. And. Well, and is a conjunction. It joins what he's about to say to just what he's got through saying. Now notice what he just got through saying in Mark eleven twenty four. He said, Therefore I say unto you, what things ever ye desire when ye pray. Everybody say, when ye pray. When ye pray. When pray. So you see, he's talking about praying, isn't he? When ye pray, believe you receive them and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying. So you see, he's still talking about praying. And when ye stand praying, Forgive if ye have aught against any. And when you stand praying, forgive. Now why? Because your faith and your prayers won't work if you don't forgive. Amen. Now thank God for Mark 11, 23 and 24. But I've also practiced verse 25 along with it. I just always refused all my Christian life. I, I have always refused to have the least bit of animosity, the least bit of ill will, the least bit of wrong feeling. Won't entertain it for a moment. I mean, if any kind of the least bit of animosity, the least bit of ill feeling or wrong feeling towards anybody, if it comes up in me any way, shape, form, or fashion, I get after it, as we say down here in Oklahoma, tooth and toenail. Praise God and kill it. I won't let it, won't entertain it for a moment. I wouldn't entertain that kind of thinking any more than I entertain for any moment the thought to kill you. Because it'll do me damage. You can't walk in health. You can't walk in healing. I, I know from experience. I'm sure of this that none of us are perfect in love. But some of us have sure tried. Amen. I had an evangelist one time hold me a meeting. Well, he did me wrong. There's no doubt about it. I'm not going into detail about it. If I did, you'd know it. And the devil suggested to me, when I say this, the thought came to my mind, and it didn't come up out of my spirit. See, thoughts will come into your mind from the inside up, or they'll come from the outside in. It sure didn't come out of my heart. I wouldn't take him up another offering if I was you. Devil ever suggest anything to you? 
I just wouldn't take him up another offering. Now, it's our custom that when we had a guest speaker and evangelist, we'd take him up an offering on Tuesday night, Friday night, and Sunday night. We'd take the other offerings up for church expenses, you know, because we entertained him, fed him, and advertisement, and so on and so forth. I wouldn't, I wouldn't receive him another offering if I was you. I'd just wait till Sunday night, because you got to Sunday night, you know, everybody wondered if you didn't. And I wouldn't try to get him anything. I'd just say, this brother so-and-so's offering, pass the plate, and say no more about it. Now, I said, just for that, Mr. Devil, just for that, I'm going to take him up an offering every night. <laughs> See, the Bible said return good for evil. Amen. Amen. I'm going to take him up an offering every night. And if you say anything else about it, I'll take him up two offerings every night. <laughs> and I would, too. But the devil never said another word. He don't want any preacher to get two offerings a night. That's a sitch. He never said another word. I took him up an offering every night. Then I asked him, because my church wasn't a large church, just a medium-sized church. I asked him, I said, uh, uh, what do you average? Because, see, he went mostly to larger churches than mine most of the time. I said, what, what is your average? He told me. I paid him three times as much as he is getting on an average and gave a third of it out of my own pocket. I felt better, he felt better, glory to God, and everything was fine. Now, notice this. The word of God said, we read it there a while ago from the 13th chapter of Romans, that love worketh no ill. Why don't you turn back there again? Notice this. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. In other words, you could put it this way. Love worketh no ill to anyone. That's the 10th verse of the 13th chapter. Love does what? Worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. You know what we need to do is before we do anything, we especially when it comes to, to brothers and sisters in the Lord, but this says to his neighbor, that means to anyone, anyone. But we should ask ourselves the question, how is this going to affect them? Because love worketh no ill to his neighbor. I remember I went to pastor one particular church. The Lord sent me there. And uh, the, the farmer pastor he had some difficulty there, and about half the people was farming, about half the people weren't. And uh, so he couldn't stay because they had an election. He didn't get reelected. And so he stayed there and lived there. And he'd visit this half of the people that's for him. And they'd give him their tithes and offerings. I noticed some of them didn't even come to church, but they still members there all right. But they never put in their tithes here. I never put in any offerings. And, and so we had a, a convention there, that is sectional convention, a rally or fellowship meeting there in our church. And the head official of that particular denomination said to me, called me off and talked to me, because I didn't tell him, someone else told him. And he said, Brother Egan, if you just say so, all you've got to do is just say so. We'll just take his papers away from him. That is, they would dismiss him from the fellowship they would not renew his credentials. In fact, they would take his credentials away from him. They said, he's good. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, if he keeps going like he's a going, he's going to 
not going to make it anyway. But I'm not going to contribute to his downfall. Because then I get involved. It, it, it affects me spiritually. It affects me uh, physically. And I don't like sickness. I was sick the first 17 years of my life almost. And I don't like it. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pray for him. And uh, instead of contributing to his downfall, I'm going to contribute to him standing and endeavor to help him to stand. Amen. Well, in the process of time, I had the opportunity to do so. He, he was also a carpenter and he didn't have any meetings or anything. And so he built a house. And those days we had a lot of paper and so he wanted to, but there's no paper hanging there just after the war, just after World War II. And I said to him, I'll, I'll canvas and paper your house for you. I was fully equipped to do that. And so I canvassed and papered his whole house. When I got to, he said, how much do I owe you? I said, you don't owe me anything. The Lord told me to give it to you. And he and his wife broke down and began to cry. And said, Brother Hagin, uh, uh, well, we want you to know one thing. See, he knew I knew he visited all these. We want you to know you never did, we never did speak against you. I said, I know you didn't. You didn't have anything to speak against me about. But I said, dear brother, sister, did you ever stop to think about it? I'm pastor of the church. When you spoke against the church, then you're speaking against me because I'm pastor of the church. God put me there. I know God put me there. Well, we were just wrong. Would you forgive us? I said, sure. Would. Now, we didn't, we didn't get into your tithe. I said, well, all of these folks, uh, and I mentioned some of them, have never since I've been there ever put a dime into the church. Oh, he said, well, I guess they gave their money to us. I, but I said, they didn't tell us it was their tithes. I said, well, that's what it was. But don't let that bother you. If they weren't going to put them in a church, I'd rather them give them to you or give them to somebody anyway. Don't let that bother you at all. Now, before you all leave, because they sold this house early, come back up there and preach in the church. Oh, no, we're not going. They don't like us. I said, I know better. I wouldn't even let that half that didn't like him talk against him. If they started, I'd stop them. And say, no, no, you don't speak against him. You know, uh, when Saul was backslidden, David wouldn't harm him. David said, touch not mine anointed, do my holy prophets no harm. And I said, come on back up there and preach. I said, in, in fact, I built up goodwill in the people that didn't like him. I, I built up goodwill to them. And, and, and you see, we're to be peacemakers. Love's a peacemaker. So I persisted and both of them came back up there and preached. He preached in the morning, she preached at night. So I said to him, and, and, uh, and he said to him, when he got up the priest, said, folks, I want all of you to forgive me. I've been wrong. Now, wasn't that a whole lot better? Praise God, love wins. Love never fails. I've been wrong. I was wrong. I want everybody to know I was wrong. And I want you all to forgive me. I, I, I said God couldn't bless the church. I ought to still be here, Pastor. I thought that, but I, it's probably my own thinking. He said, after all, I see here God's a blessing. The church is full. It was never full when I was here. It was never full when I was pastor here over a three-year period. The church is full. I'm glad of it. I want everybody to know that I'm thrilled with what God's doing. Love wins. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Well, they didn't get out of the ministry. They went on to build a church in another place eventually and to be blessed. That's a whole lot better. I'm not going to contribute to the downfall of anybody. I tell folks all the time, I wouldn't even deny it if they told on me that I killed my grandma. I wouldn't even take time to deny it. 
I'm just going to keep praising God and worshiping the Lord. Hallelujah. And going on enjoying the blessings of God and let folks say what they want to and do what they want to. Amen. Amen. Love is the best way and it's our way. Now here's a verse over here. And while I'm talking, why don't you turn back over to 1 John. The first epistle of John, real quickly. First epistle of John. I want you to see something that maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't seen before. But here, we, we read this 14th verse, you know, where he said, we know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. He goes on talking about love in this third chapter. And in this fourth chapter, he talks about love. He talks about being made perfect love. In the 18th verse, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You see, love is a fruit of the Spirit, the very first fruit of the Spirit that shows up in our born again spirit. And uh, fruit can grow. Hallelujah. Amen. Now notice this. Look at the 16th verse of this fourth chapter of 1 John. And we have known, we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear, for fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Hallelujah. Now I want you to notice this, this very fact. That we not only believe in God, but we believe in love. Hallelujah. Do you believe in love? Well, practice it then. Practice it. Because that's the only thing that's going to win out in the end. It'll look like sometimes it's not winning. Love, as we said before, reading there from, from Romans, worketh no ill to his neighbor. No ill. Any shape, form, or fashion. If you're going to walk in health, if your faith's going to work, and remember there's a scripture that said, faith worketh by love. Then if you're not in love, your faith won't work. If my faith and prayers didn't work, this would be the first place that I'd look. I tell folks teaching constantly, you go through the four Gospels and seek the Scriptures out, write them down, that Jesus said relative to faith, and this is the only hindrance he ever mentioned. That doesn't mean there are not other hindrances, but that means he warned us where the greatest danger was. Amen? I remember my wife and I were holding a meeting in the western part of the United States. And there was a young couple there. They're, they're ministers. Both of them are ordained ministers, actually, with their full gospel denomination. 
They're not pastors of the church, they're just going to this church. We had met them before preaching conventions for that particular full gospel denomination. They invited us out, we went to eat with them, have a little sandwich after church. And she said to me, Brother Hagin, you've got me all confused. Well, I said, no, I haven't got you confused. You're just confused before I got here. <laughs> the Word of God just showed it up, the light of God's Word. But what's the matter? Well, said, you quoted the Scripture tonight in my message, uh, and, and you'll find that the 15th verse. We read the 14th verse of 1 John 3. The 15th verse said, He that hateth his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And when I quoted that, the Spirit of God inspired me to stop and say, that means mother-in-law too. I said, well, I said it. I'll plead guilty. I sure did. What's your problem? She said, I hate my mother-in-law. Now, here's an ordained minister of the gospel, but I hate my mother-in-law. Well, I said, if you do, you're a murderer. You don't have eternal life abiding in you. Well, I was born in a full gospel parsonage. Her parents were pastor of a full gospel church, brought up in the full gospel parsonage. Graduated from school, went to Bible school, one of the best Bible schools in the land of the day. There she met her husband. I said, I don't care how many schools you graduated from. If you hate your mother, I knew she really didn't, but I've got to get her located so she can see herself. I said, if you really do, then you're a murderer. But I said, I saw I just about had her. You know, she, she's about out. She don't know what. I said, look right across the table. She sat right across from me. Look me in the eye and say, I hate my mother-in-law. And at the same time, check down here in your spirit. See, the Bible didn't say the love of God shed abroad in our heads. It said it shed abroad in our hearts. Check down here your heart, in this case, is your spirit. Check down here, see what happens. So she looked across the table right in my eye and said, I hate my mother-in-law. I said, what happened in there? She said, there's something down there scratching me. I said, I know it. That's the love of God down there trying to get your attention, trying to constrain you. You won't listen to it. What she had done is listen to her head and listen to her flesh. Well, she said, what am I going to do? I said, you're going to act just like you would if you did love your mother-in-law because you do. Amen. You're going to act just like you would if you did love your mother-in-law because you do love her. That's what you're going to do. That's the way out of the situation. Well, we learned then that there, they had three children. The youngest one, when it was two years old, a little better, began to have epileptic seizures. They had taken it to one of the leading specialists in the world and said it's the worst case they'd ever seen, 38 years of practice. They're trying to believe God for the healing. So she phoned a motel to see if we on the way to church would stop by and pray with her because the child's going into a preliminary attack. And so we got in the car. I said, yes, we'll go because the Lord told me to. And so we got in the car. My wife and I are sitting in the front. Nobody's in the back seat. But it's just as real to me as though somebody's sitting back there. I know it couldn't have been audible, yet it's, that's how real it was to me because my wife would have heard it. if it had been audible and she didn't hear anything. But I heard these words like somebody sitting in the back seat. Don't pray for the child. Don't lay your hand on the child. When you get there, say to the mother, under the old covenant, I said to Israel, walk in my statutes and keep my commandments. Do that which is right in my sight and I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. And the number of your days you'll fulfill. Paraphrasing that in New Testament language, New Covenant language, I said a new commandment I give you. That you love one another. 
And if you walk in my commandment of love and keep my statue of love and do that which is pleasing in my sight, which is to walk in love one toward another, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you and the number of your days you'll fulfill. Say to the mother, mother, say to Satan, Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hand off of my child. I didn't get those words out of my mouth till she turned and pointed to that child in the beginning of this seizure and said, Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hand off of my child. Fast as he snapped your finger, the child's all right. Just perfect, all right. Perfect, all right. Now, that came as revelation to me. I'd never seen that before in that way. I knew under the old covenant what it said. But you see, the truth about the matter is that that belongs to us too. Are you listening to me? That belongs to us too for the simple reason that we've got a better covenant established on better promises. Now, if under the old covenant it's not as good as ours, they could keep his statutes and commandments and, and never be sick. Notice he said, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you and the number of your days you shall fulfill. Now then he said, love, we read it in Romans, he that loveth has fulfilled the law. Then if I fulfill the law, I can claim the same promise. That's one reason I've been able to walk in what I call divine health for years. Last headache I had was August 1933. It's too late to start having them now. <laughs> amen. Yeah. I said, amen. Yeah. Well, somebody said, yeah, but Brother Hagin, I haven't always walked in love. That lady hadn't either. I mean, it's only recently that she's got it straightened up. But she's over there in love now. Glory to God. And she has a right to claim God's promises. I'll tell you, every step out of love is a step into sin. Amen? And if you get out, get back in just as fast as you can. Just get back in as fast as you can. And then you can live under God's provision and God's promises. Praise God forevermore and enjoy the blessings of God that belongs to you. Because you are a child of God. You are born of God. Hallelujah. Amen. And you belong to you. Notice that he said here in this first epistle of John, Beloved, what manner of love, this is the third chapter now, the first verse, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We're not going to be the sons of God when we all get to heaven. In the sweet by and by, now are we the sons of God. Well, now listen, listen. If we are the sons of God and God is love, then we're sons of love. Hallelujah. If, we, if God is love and we're children of God, we're children of love. When we are born again, the life and the nature of God's imparted to our spirits. Let that nature and that life dominate your being. That's a reason that you have to do something with your body because it's not set abroad in your body. That's a reason you have to do something with your minds because your mind and flesh will dominate that inward man. But Romans, you remember 12th chapter, first and second verses said, Wherefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. You present your bodies. 
unto God, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, we need to get our minds renewed along this line. We haven't as we should, concerning the love of God. I was holding a meeting one time, one of the Western states. There were some fellow ministers that came to visit, three of them, pastors, and the pastor where I'm holding a meeting and myself, and we all four went out to have lunch together. Now here are four resident pastors and myself. And so we're eating and they got to talking and they got off on this subject of love. And, and they about decided that what we need to do is pray that God would send us a revival of love. We need this and so on. Finally, I just kept quiet and listened. They said, Brother Egan, what do you think about? I said, think about what? What we've been saying. Well, I said, I think all you fellas need to get saved. <laughs> I knew they was all pastors of full gospel churches. And they looked at me in astonishment. I said, the way you talk, we don't have the love of God. None of us do, and we need it. Yeah. I said, the Bible said we know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. And if you are saved, you've got it. I said, the thing about it is you need to find out that you do have it because the Word says so, and then you need to do something about it. You need to practice it. You need to find out what the Word of God says. You need to preach on it. It's not a matter that we need God to send it to us because he's already given every saved person a measure of that kind of love. Just like he gave you a measure of faith. I said, if you are saved, you have a measure of that kind of love. And you can pray that God would give you more, but it'll never be increased until you feed it on God's word and exercise it. Did you hear me? I said, it'll never be increased until you feed it on God's word and exercise it. And then it'll be increased, and that's the only way that it will be increased. Amen. Amen. But you see, instead of us accepting our responsibility, we want God to do something, you know, on his own. Well, thank God he has. He's given every one of us a measure of that God kind of love. What have you done with it? I said, what have you done with it? Amen. I think too many people are like the man with the one talent. He wrapped it up in a napkin and hid it. But find out what God's word has to say on the subject. Renew your mind on the subject of love. Love worketh what? No ill. No ill. To whom? His neighbor. That means anybody. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. We need to so be soaked in God's word and by so doing be soaked in love until that's the first thought that'll jump into our mind no matter what we start to do is how is this going to affect the other fellow? I know on one occasion there was a church that uh, God had really spoken to my heart about, pastoring, and they wanted me. Some of them did at least. It was a kind of church that had a uh, congregational rule. They would vote on it. But then the pastor that was leaving, I was there, had preached. The pastor that was leaving, his cousin came along and was without a church, so he put him up and began to politic for him. You know, love has never divided any church. I could have taken half of those people, because really it's the only full gospel church in town. I could have taken half of them, went across town and built another church. 
But I can't do that in love and nobody else can. What astounds me is that born again, spirit-filled Christians can become sheep thieves and take half another man's congregation doesn't bother them the least bit in the world, said God, and then lay it off on God, said God told me to. Well, I don't mind telling them they're liars. I said, because if they didn't lie, then God is. He's a liar. Well, either God or them one lied about it. Because God said, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. And I listened to the inward man. I listened to the love of God in me. And, the love. and he said to me, you just go your way. Don't you, don't you divide a church. Don't you split a church. You go your way. Just get up and leave right now. I got up and withdrew my name and left. And I said, Lord, what about them though? You see, because love concerned, well, he said, they'll have to suffer because they listen to the wrong people. That church will suffer, but I'll take care of you. Thank God he took care of me in grand style. And then you know what? Before uh, a year had come and gone, God put me in that church. And I didn't have a thing in the world to do with it. See, our problem is God may really speak to us sometime, but then we try to run other, over other people to make it work. And then we get out of love, and so then we're where God can't bless us. He wants to, but he can't because we're out of his plan. Are you listening to me? Amen. I don't know about you, but I decided a long time ago, I'm going to walk in love whether anybody else does or not. Because, see, it'll affect your health. I know a minister, he's now dead, died at an early age. Before he got, got to be age 40, he's dead. I know, I preached in the city. And he's going to start a church there. He said to a pastor, the pastor said to him, he came to him and told him, said, I'm going to start a church here. He said, well, now, he'd held several revivals for him. He said, what, what are you going to start? Well, he said, I'm going to start this church on your church, your members, and brother so-and-so. Just told another, and brother so-and-so's members, and brother so-and-so's members. That's what he did. He got, oh, I guess, 100 or two members from this church, because I guess it was the one of the, one of the, well, about third largest full gospel church. He got two or three hundred from another church. And then from the largest full gospel church, I suppose he had three or four hundred there. But you know what? Before he could enjoy his new church building, he's dead. I said, he's dead. I said, he's dead. God said to me, you go tell him. You go tell him. He's going to die. Because he didn't judge himself and walk in love towards his fellow minister. And he did. Love never fails. I see some of you really thinking solemnly, aren't you? Well, you need to. Praise God. I said, praise God. I've had people that came seeking healing, laid hands on me, myself several times. Every other leading healing evangelist in America had prayed for them. No healing. I've seen them just as soon as they made some adjustment in this area here about walking in love and forgiveness. They never had to have anybody lay hands on them. Just automatically heal. This is a side of healing that needs to be preached too. Can you say amen? amen. Well, say it out loud. I am a lover. I am a lover. I am not a hater. I am not a hater. The love of God. The God kind of love has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. I will let that love, that love nature dominate 
my entire being. Hallelujah. I will walk in love. I'll talk love. I'll act love. Hallelujah. For I'm a lover. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.